one year ago this weekend, I went back on the videos and checked. I stood before you all, although not before you, because we were still on TV then only. I stood before you all for the first time with glasses, with glasses. Now, my wife, Christina, had been watching me play trombone. Is there any trombone? Trombone with my phone uh, for a while. I'd been telling her, you know, it takes a really long time for my eyes to come into focus in the morning. I must be really tired. I complained every day about how fuzzy our internet was. All the screens are fuzzy. The internet's messed up. Then one week in our Connect group, I asked one of our Connect group members, this is another great reason to join a Connect group, they help you to see better. But I asked one of our Connect group members if I could try on his readers, his, just his readers that he used for reading and he put on when we were reading the Bible together. And I put those on and these words came out of my mouth. Oh no. Now, I should have been happy because I actually could see something clearly, but I said, oh, no, because I realized, "Uh uh-oh, I'm uh, getting a bit older. And so I said, okay, I guess I need something when I'm reading, uh, primarily the computer. And so I went to uh, Amazon and I ordered some glasses and I ordered these things right here. And since it was only supposed to be for the computer, I figured, well, I'll just get some with the blue light reflecting things on them and, and I'll order those. But then I realized that when I was preaching, I could actually see my notes better too and I could see the Bible better with these things. And so I was wearing them. And then another Connect group member saw me wearing these glasses and said, I'm sick of seeing Chad's yellow eyes when he's preaching. And so he ordered me some nicer glasses, some, some readers that I have here. And I, and I had these readers and, and, and I liked them because they were actually stronger than the previous readers I got. And so I could see even more clearly everything that was in front of me. But you all are blurry now. <laughs> and I couldn't see that as well. And so my wife, our pediatrician had told us that our middle son needed to get his eyes checked. And so we should go see an optometrist. And so we made an appointment with Dr. Cohn and uh, our optometrist. And Christina said, you know, you haven't been to the optometrist in probably 10 or more years. It's probably actually 15 years. While you're there, you might as well just get checked out. And so I went in and Dr. Cohn saw me and she said to me, so you need glasses when you read? And I said, yep. And she said, and all the rest of the time too. And I said, bifocals? And she said, we don't call them bifocals anymore. They're progressives now. So we are progressing with how we call your glasses. So, so I have progressives and I wear these all the time and I can see clearly. For the last year, I've been, I've been able to see more clearly than I have in years. I can see all of your smiles all the way even in the back row. I see you all back there and I can see your frowns and I can see clearly when you fall asleep and all of the rest of it. Glasses changed everything, but there was a step. There was a process to getting there, this process of being able to see clearly. This weekend, if you uh, go online or if you read articles from Christian blogs or Christian magazines, 
listen to sermons from Christian pulpits, you will hear a phrase that is uh, a very common cliche. And it's, it's true, and yet, hold on before you aim in it, because I want to give a caveat to it. It's the phrase, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. In fact, this is so common that if you go home and you go onto the Google machine this week or today, this afternoon, whatever it is, and you put in the resurrection changes everything, you put quotations around it, 16,200 articles uh, will come up with that title. That's how popular it is. If you take the quotations off, 90 million references to this phrase on the internet, the resurrection changes everything. Well, all my life, I've been a little bit of a contrarian, so I want to be a contrarian here as well. I want to tell you that the resurrection does not change everything unless you see the one clearly who has been resurrected. And that's what we want to talk about today, seeing clearly the one who has been resurrected, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, it's already been read, and so I won't read it again. And thank you to our readers, Pastor Candace, Pastor Bill, and Roman for reading that for us. But just again, the quick recap, we have two individuals, two disciples, followers of Jesus. Verse 18 tells us that one of them is named Cleopas. The other one, we don't get the name, although some scholars surmise that maybe the other follower of Jesus was Cleopas's wife. And they are headed home. They're, they're leaving Jerusalem. They're walking the seven-mile road to their home in Emmaus. And they are depressed. They are sorrowful. They are grieving. They are confused because, because the man they thought was going to make everything clear in the world was killed on a cross. Now, think about this. The day they're traveling is the first resurrection day in history. It's the first Easter, as we now refer to it, as, as, as contemporary times refer to it, in history. They are walking down this road with their heads bowed down, even though Jesus is alive. The resurrection has happened. They've even heard rumors about the fact that Jesus might be alive, although they kind of dismissed those. Maybe they were a little biased. Well, there was these women who said that Jesus was alive, but our, we sent some men over there to check it out, and they didn't see Jesus. I mean, wouldn't Jesus appear to men first? I'll, I'll leave that for another sermon at another time. But, but they've heard this rumor, and even though it's resurrection morning, nothing has changed for them. Nothing has changed for them. And then this stranger shows up. This stranger shows up to walk with them, where had he come from? They weren't really paying attention. They don't know. But they, they glance up to be courteous and, and to acknowledge his presence. The best book on the life of Christ that I've read, The Desire of Ages, uh, has this statement. They were so absorbed, that word is strong, they were so absorbed in their own gloom and disappointment that they did not observe him closely. The guy that they are so sad about dying is literally right next to him. He's alive, he's resurrected, but nothing has changed for them because they don't actually see him clearly. He is not in focus for them. And Jesus asked them a question. What are you all talking about? 
Now, Jesus, you know, he speaks in our dialect. So Jesus says, y'all. So what are y'all talking about? And, 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 and Cleopas gives one of the most ironic statements in the Bible. He, said, he accuses Jesus of being out of touch. Even though Jesus was the only one that truly understood what was going on, he says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem that doesn't understand what has is, what is taken place these days? And then I love Jesus' answer. What things? Tell me about this, you know? They give Jesus their Cliff Notes version of what they think he was supposed to do and what they think happened. And then Jesus, as we heard in the scripture, refers to them as foolish. And I love the way that Elder Knott rendered that because he rendered it in a gentle and gracious manner. You know, of course, we've taught our kids, don't call anyone a fool. Don't call someone dumb. Don't call someone stupid. Hopefully we've all taught our kids that. We should if we have not. But, but in this moment, it's not, it's not a statement of, of rebuke, but rather sympathy for, oh man, you've missed it. You've missed it. Oh, you foolish ones. It's a gentle savior talking there. Let me pause and remind us, the resurrection changes nothing unless we see clearly the one who has been resurrected. And this story is proving that point. Now the story continues and Jesus opens scriptures and shows them who he is. And then, and then at the end, there's this aha moment that Luke gives us where, where they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. The Bible tells us in verse 30, they took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and began to give it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They saw him clearly. And that is when everything changed for them. Y'all, we can be here today. We can all be here playing our parts and we can all be in here sitting here and we can come here because we know that Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day are the days that you have to show up at church. And we can understand as well that, 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 that the, the historical reality of Jesus's resurrection, we can believe in all of these things. But if we don't see Jesus clearly, personally, then that actually changes nothing. Their eyes were opened, and that's when things were changed. I want to come back to that phrase in a minute, but, but first I want to get very practical because just as there were steps that I took to get to the place where I could see all of you and where you're sitting, which I love to do. I love to know where you're sitting. It helps my ADD be entertained during the sermons. So if you're sitting out of place, then I know that's the case. So... Like Vivian's up here in the front right here this time. And normally she'd be sitting right over here if she was here at church. Hi, Vivian. Good to see you. So, and I saw Jonathan. I saw his dad back there. I'm always glad to see them. So these things I do during the sermon, that's what I think about while I'm preaching. You're thinking about hopefully my sermon. I'm thinking about where you're sitting and what's going on with that. But, 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 but I had to take these steps to get to that place where I could see you all clearly again. And there's these steps that, that we see Jesus walking the disciples through on this road to Emmaus so that they can see him clearly. And there's four things that I see, and, and there's notes in your bulletin, a place for you to take notes. And if you want to take notes in there, you can, or you can, of course, put in your phone, which might take more with you. But the first element that helped them to see Jesus clearly 
is scripture. Jesus starts with scripture. This is so important in our, in our modern culture where often we start with other things to build our interpretation of scripture rather than allowing scripture to build our interpretation of everything else. Oftentimes we say, well, what do I feel about that? Before saying, well, what does the Bible feel about that? Jesus started with scripture, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus didn't start with their feelings. He didn't say, okay, let's, let's explore how you're feeling sad and talk to me about, about that. He didn't talk about their reason. Their reason was, well, these ladies said that Jesus had risen, but we just don't know if that's accurate. No, Jesus goes back to the scripture and begins to talk to them about the Bible and what the Bible said. We have to be careful to, to, to allow our feelings to get ahead of the scriptures. Now, I know that I do this sometimes. I know that I let my feelings and my reasons sometimes get ahead of the scriptures. You, you may do this too. You know if you do this, if you've ever thought or said something like, I know the Bible says, but I believe, or I know the Bible says, but but I don't think that really matters to him anymore within our culture. Or, or if you've ever said, I feel like the Jesus that I know wouldn't ask me to do that or wouldn't say that or whatever it may be. We might be putting our feelings and our reasoning ahead of scripture. I think Jesus would be okay with this because the Jesus I know loves me in this way. It's like my friend uh, who I was speaking with one time, and I've shared this before, but, but some of you may not have heard it. I was speaking with one time, and, and I was worried about her and where kind of the direction of her life was going, and I asked her, I said, hey, uh, Julie, you know, I'm a little concerned about this and what, what's going on, and she said, don't worry. Jesus and I worked out our own special deal. I thought, man, I want to know how we get this own special deal somewhere. It's just, but it was in her own mind. I've reasoned it out. I've thought it out. And, and Jesus is okay with what I am doing. If any of those thoughts or statements have crossed your mind, maybe you're putting your feelings and your reason ahead of scripture. And we will never really see Jesus clearly if our feelings exegete the scriptures rather than the scriptures exegeting our feelings. We also start with the scripture, not just because of Jesus' example and not just because of our feelings, but because Jesus tells us that it is a more firm foundation and a clearer picture than even a miracle. Don't, you don't have to raise your hands, but I know that I've prayed this. Lord, if you'll just do this, then I will trust you. I'll believe. Just slightly head nod, because I can see you all now clearly. So if you just want to slightly head nod if you've ever prayed a prayer like that if you prayed a prayer like that. But think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, which is just back a little bit. Luke chapter 16 and verse 31. Listen to this. Jesus is talking to some folk and he said to these people, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone from the dead rises. They will not be convinced even if someone rises from, raises up from the dead. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, if they didn't believe, trust the foundation of Moses and the prophets, then even if someone is raised to life again, they will not believe in me. He's saying that scripture is a more sure foundation than sometimes those evidences that we pray for. And we see this, this lived out because Lazarus is raised up from the grave. And what happens? Some of those folk who saw that said, man, that's all the reason more to kill Jesus. He raised people up. We got to kill them even quicker than we thought before. Jesus himself raised from the grave and people want to deny him, den denounce this. Let's, let's say this is what actually happened. 
So Jesus says scripture is a more firm foundation. We start with scripture to see Jesus clearly. But then we turn to that thing I just said we don't turn to first. We turn to our experience. We turn to, to our feelings. We turn to what we go to. Because I believe that experience coupled with scripture and interpreted by scripture is the strongest proof of Christianity after scripture. There's a story in Matthew chapter 11, a story in Matthew chapter 11, a friend of Jesus by the name of John the Baptist, his cousin also is in jail and he's struggling to trust if, if, this, if Jesus is really the Messiah that the scriptures spoke about. And so he sends some friends to Jesus to ask that very question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Are you the one the scriptures talked about or should we expect someone else to come into the world? And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus replied in Matthew chapter 11, verses four, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus takes Isaiah chapter 35, he takes scripture and he couples it with their experience and he says, this is how you know it's real. So he takes scripture and he couples it with our experience. We, we read scripture and we start to understand scripture, but then our experiences give, give a new life in many ways to scripture. Or in fact, scripture gives new life to our experience, I should say. I grew up hearing that text from Philippians chapter four and verse six. You've heard it before that God gives us a peace that passes all understanding and we teach our kids to sing songs like, I've got peace like a river, you know, and all these things and, and peace, peace, or, you know, all these things about God's grace and God's peace. And we sing these songs and, 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 and I heard all those things and I heard those scriptures. And then one day in April of 1996, I gave my heart to Jesus. And suddenly that scripture gave meaning to that experience because I truly had a peace that passed all understanding. All the illicit things of my life, all the struggles, all the, all the guilt that was upon me, there was this, this lifting of it and truly there was a peace that passed all understanding. I was in Africa preaching for six weeks back in 2003. And when I was there, preaching to these folk, it was, it was life-changing. My wife would say it was almost my second conversion because, because uh, she said I came back a totally different person. She said I came back and I liked everybody. Now, I always loved all of you and all of you and everybody in the world. I loved you because that's what Jesus told me I had to do, but I didn't like very many people at all. In fact, I liked about this many people. I could probably count them on one hand. And, and I came back and Christina said, man, you're a totally different person. And she proved it because we were broken up at the time and she got back together with me and we got married. So it, 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 it's true actually. But she says, you know, you were totally different. But, but things in the scripture there when I was in Africa came to life like never before. Like this scripture, it's easier for a rich man to get through the eye of a needle than or a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and that scripture took on new meaning because I saw there in Africa people that had absolutely nothing. 
I remember I met a woman who had, who had been beaten and her, and her husband had sold her into prostitution. But when she found Jesus, she had a joy. Her face was still mangled because they didn't have the ability to put her face back together properly where she lived. But she had a joy and a smile and, and, a, and a hope in Jesus Christ and a faith in Jesus that, that I had never seen before, even though she had nothing even though she didn't look the way she had been born, even though she, she, her, her relationship had been destroyed. And I was like, man, these scriptures about the faith of a child or, or, or how the poor understand faith in a different way, it just reached me in a, in a whole new light. Those experiences, the scriptures and those experiences combined helped me to see Jesus even more clearly. The third element on this road that I see of these disciples as they're walking, the disciples as they're going along, is tradition. Now, tradition gets a bad rap, and, and understandably so. I know that some of our traditions are, are extra-biblical, and they are not uh, based on Scripture, and we have to be careful of those. And, and some of our traditions can become boring and, 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 and blasé, and we're just going through the motions. But, but you know, tradition is a part of us understanding and seeing Jesus clearly. The tradition of coming here to church week after week is, is something that God wants us to do because as we come together as a corporate body, together to worship in this way, to be inspired in this way, God communicates things to us that, that we don't here on our own sometimes. That's a tradition that's good. There's traditions that you go through and, and here in the Emmaus Road, they practice a tradition within that culture, within that Middle Eastern culture. They're walking along and Jesus is gonna go on, but the Bible has very clearly encouraged people that you don't let a stranger leave. You, you invite them into your home, you welcome them into your home, you feed them. And so they practice this tradition. And then we see the language in the scripture there where it says, and that Jesus took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And this reminds us of the tradition of the last supper of the communion. But they share this meal together and the tradition of this meal, suddenly they begin to see who Jesus is, who this person is that has been walking with them and traveling with them. The tradition of eating together, by the way, that is still a tradition that we should practice. Read the Bible. And one thing I see over and over and over again is that a lot of good things happen when people come together and share meals together. So it's why we should invite people into our homes and why we should also connect in our groups around food. And some of you I know love food, so you should say amen to both the connecting to Jesus around food and the food, amen? So, but there's this tradition that is, that is within this tradition. So they've got scripture and then they had the experience. They said, didn't our hearts burn within us? They're talking about their experience and, and they have the tradition of eating together. And, and as they combine all these things, then they use that fourth element. And that is the reason, the God-given Holy Spirit-directed reason that God has given them. We can know the scriptures. We can practice the traditions. We can even have experiences. But, but if at some point we don't pause and say, what does this all mean? What is Jesus trying to communicate to me? We never really fully understand. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? They begin to reason when he was reading to us the scriptures. They're talking about their experience and and. and and, and then when he broke the bread, they go to Jerusalem and they say, and we recognize him when he broke that bread in that tradition, in that moment of us eating a meal together. Finally, our eyes were opened and we saw him clearly. These things combine scripture and our experiences and, and the traditions that we practice within the body of Christ. And then using our God-given Holy Spirit-inspired reason, 
our eyes are open and we begin to see Jesus clearly. And when we see the resurrected Christ clearly, that is truly when everything changes. That is truly when everything changes. There is that line there at the end of the story that tells us in verse 31, when Jesus broke the bread and began to give it to them, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Here's the reason why we need to have our eyes opened and recognize Jesus in this way, above all others. In Genesis chapter three, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve sinned. You remember that story, right? They ate the fruit. And in Genesis chapter three and verse seven, the Bible says, and when they ate that fruit, their eyes were opened. And what were they open to then in Genesis chapter three? They were open to their own sin, to their own shame, to their own, their own brokenness. And the very first thing they do when they, when they see their sin, when they see their shame, when they see their brokenness, the very first thing they do is this. They try to fix their problems. Let us make some clothes for ourselves and cover ourselves and, and, and try to hide who we are. And ever since Adam and Eve have done that, that is the exact same thing that we do. All of us, when we sin, we have our eyes open. Most of us, almost 100% of us, know the basics of right and wrong. And when we do wrong, one of the very first things that goes through our mind is, man, I gotta fix this. I gotta figure this out. I gotta take care of this. But, but then Jesus posts the resurrection. We realize that, 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 that something else happens. The, the disciples are, are, are sad, they're grieving, they're mourning, they're saying, we thought this is the way it was gonna be and it's not this way. And, and the only things that changes them is, is now the Bible once again says, and then their eyes were opened. But this time they don't see their sin and their shame. And they don't say, oh, we've gotta fix this. This time they see Jesus and everything changes. Folks, most of us are living with our eyes opened according to the fall. But we need to reverse the curse and have our eyes opened according to the resurrection and see that Jesus, through the power of the cross, has given us victory over our enemy, self and sin. And that truly is amazing grace don't come here today. Don't come here today and say, well, I know Jesus rose from the grave. I know this is when I'm supposed to go to church and walk out with that. Come here today and determine through the power of Jesus, through, through the scriptures, through, through your experience, through the tradition even of coming, the practice of coming, and then using that reason and, and, and come here and say, Jesus, open my eyes that I may see clearly and know that this shameful sinner is one that you see with eyes of love and that you're ready to change and to love right into the kingdom of God. He is alive. He is risen. And if you see him, that truth will change everything.